That don't make you cry. I don't know what will. Um, you know that if I get to ever have a say-so in the video that gets shown, somebody's fixing to be crying. <clears throat> but uh, anyway, my name's Ed Griffinagan. I'm one of the pastors on the staff here at my church. I want to welcome you all this morning on this beautiful, already hot, I guess, Mother's Day. <clears throat> and Mother's Day is a day where we, well, let me ask you this. How many of you mamas got uh, breakfast in bed? Not a hand in the, you did? Christy, from Jeff? Christy Murphy's the only hand that went, no, there's another one in the back. Okay, so there's two, two in the first service. Guys, we are doing pitiful, pitiful, two and two. Um, anyway, today is a day where we get to, get to, ought to, should, um, take a little special care of our mamas and our, and our wives and our sisters and our aunts and so forth. Um, people do this in bunches of different ways. Maybe we're going to take, uh, go, take, go out to lunch or we're going to go out to dinner, um, give them special gifts, whatever the case may be. The sad thing, though, is often uh, Mother's Day is just a, a time where we get to apologize for all the dumb stuff that we've done to our moms and our wives over the last 12 months. Today, we're going to talk about family. We're going to talk about kids, and we're going to talk about dads, but mostly we're going to talk about mamas. And I want to preface all of this, maybe if that's the right word, with men and women are not the same. Shocker. Little boys and little girls are not the same. God has created a man to be a man, and God has created a woman to be a woman beautifully, uniquely crafted in his image. And so he has wired us up differently. Not better, not worse, differently and uniquely. And here's what I know. Most of us, Christian or not, most of us would probably agree that we're living in a time where the influence that the church has, the influence that Christians have on the world is waning. Um, and I'm talking about our influence, the influence we have on right and wrong, the influence we have on education, on social issues, maybe most importantly, the, the influence that we have on, on the family and the way that families are perceived. And what's happened is, over time, the twisted logic of the world has replaced biblical truth when it comes to setting the boundaries for the home and the family. And it's messed up. We ought to be the ones, we under the umbrella of, of Christianity, we um, the ones that, that say that Jesus is the leader and forgiver of our life, we ought to be the ones who see the home and marriage and parenting as placed underneath the, the authority of the Scripture. We ought to be the ones that are leading that charge. And, 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 and we shouldn't let the influence of the world change the way that looks. We are the ones that need to be influencing the world and setting that example. And so uh, the way that we think, what we think, what we feel, what we believe are only legitimately Christian to the degree that they line up and, are, 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 and they jive with God's word. The problem is, in today's world, 
the, the, what the world says and what the world is telling us doesn't jive with what the book says. And a lot of the times, the world is influencing the church rather than the other way around. And the trend, even for us some of the time, is to just say, yeah, yeah, I'm with you, God, or yeah, I got my Bible, it's sitting on my, my night table. But a whole lot of the time, we don't filter our thoughts and our opinions and our emotions through the guidelines of the Scripture. Everything that, that we look at in the world ought to, be, ought to be viewed through the lens of God's Word to include what goes on in our homes. And then we read something like Romans chapter 12, verse 2. <clears throat> Paul says, Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The battle takes place in our, in our minds. And that word that Paul uses in that passage, be transformed by the renewal of your mind, it's metamorpho. It's the, it's the same word that, that in English we get metamorphosis. It's the, the, the absolute radical trans, uh, transformation of a caterpillar into a beautiful butterfly. And Paul says, be metamorphed by the renewing of your mind, don't be conformed to what the world says. There's usually a delta between what the world is screaming at us all the time and what this says. And so he finishes that verse, verse 2. He says, uh, you know, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And we think what good and acceptable is that that only applies to to maybe the way we behave and what we do, but not necessarily to things like marriage, relationships, uh, or raising kids. We want to leave that stuff to talk shows and self-help books. But every single thing ought to be viewed through the lens of the truths in Scripture, whether it's education, whether it's finance, whether it's politics, our jobs, our marriages, and, and parenting. So having said that, I want us this morning, we're going to be in, uh, in Proverbs 31. Proverbs is in the Old Testament. Proverbs, it, we're going to be in the last part of Proverbs 31. It's actually the last part of the book. It's right next to Psalms. Proverbs was completed about 700 years before uh, Christ's birth. It was compiled over time. Proverbs is with, I want us always to kind of learn some stuff about this book every Sunday. <clears throat> um, it, it, it's, it's wisdom literature. There's all kind of different genres in the, in the Bible, from history books, theological history. The Gospels are biographies, but they're God-focused biographies. It's not just history for the sake of history. It's history to lead us to the foot of the cross. So there's history books, there's letters. We were in Philippians last week, and that, is, uh, that was a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. So there's letters, and this is wisdom literature. The Psalms are wisdom literature. The Proverbs are wisdom literature. And so this, we feel like, was written, this last part of 31, was written by King Solomon. The first part was written by another king, but we feel like this was written by Solomon, just not 100%. Sure, but here's the deal with the, the genre thing. Um, we can't read Proverbs and we can't read Psalms, the Psalms, the way we would read a book of history. It's, it's not fair. We don't read it the same way we read a letter. 
Proverbs was when it was written, <clears throat> well, even today, it, when it was written, though, it, 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 it kind of showed the Israelites and taught them how to be in relationship with each other. It taught them how to, how to behave. It taught them how their faith in God and His Word ought to play out on a day-to-day basis. Husbands to wives to children to, to children to friends, all of those relationships. It's almost like a how-to manual on how to live. That's how Proverbs is written. So let's look at verse uh, chapter 31, and I want to read. I want to read through uh, verses 10 through 31, and it's a long passage. But I want y'all uh, to, as we read through it, and it's in your worship guide, circle little. Things in the passage where you see, because uh, this is a description of, of a noble wife. That's what verse 10 says. Circle where you see qualities or character traits of this woman that, that the author is, uh, is describing. So I'm going to read through it a little quickly, um, and I want you all to circle those things. <clears throat> a wife of noble character who can find. She's worth far, far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She is like the merchant ships bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it's still night. She provides food for her family and portions for her female servants. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, uh, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hand to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. She is clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies the merchant ships with sashes. She's clothed with strength and dignity, and she can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom, and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat of the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honor her for all that her hands have done and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. That's a tired woman, is it not? I mean, that's a busy, woe-out, tired woman that does all of those things. Before I get into this passage, though, um, these, these verses... Are called, it's an alphabetic acrostic in the original language in Hebrew. It's, every verse begins with a, a sequential letter of the alphabet. It's like if we wrote A, B, C, D, E, F, G in the first letter of each sentence. Well, that was done that way so they could memorize, more than likely, so they could memorize it because all these people couldn't necessarily read and write. You know, grandmama is, is reading the script or, or, or transmitting the scripture to her son or daughter and they're doing it with, it with their kids, and so that's a little easier way uh, to memorize, and number one. And secondly, that, that, that phrase in verse 10, of noble character, wife of noble character in the, in the NIV, in the New King James is, is translated virtuous. 
uh, it's the Hebrew word chayil is the word, um, which, which actually literally means strength and valor. It means in all ways um, excellent. And throughout the scriptures, that word is used a bunch. Twenty times it's used speaking of God and 80 or 90 times used speaking of, of, of people. Most of those it's used, uh, it's spoken of a man. And it's a mighty man of valor. It's a, uh, a worthy man or a mighty warrior man. It's only used of a woman a few times. And it's like the, the, the woman would be the counterpart of this mighty man of valor. Crazy moral strength, unbelievable integrity. And the rest of this passage after verse 10 is a description of what that looks like. Verse 10, a wife of noble character, and the rest of the passage is a description of what that looks like. It's a description of how noble character, worthiness, uh, the, the mighty female warrior, how that plays out in the life of the woman. And I personally, <clears throat> I see about five groups of qualities in those verses, five groups of character traits. And I want to run, kind of quickly, I want to, want to run through those. And so we're going to have them up on the screen as well. And you got some fill in the blanks in your, uh, in your worship guide. And if we look at verses 11, 12, and 23, you, here's what you're going to see. This woman, this wife of noble character, she's trustworthy and she is devoted. She has her husband's confidence and, and she enhances his reputation. She's trustworthy and she's devoted, number one. Number two, she's attentive and she is industrious and she is wise. And we see this in 13, verses 13 through 19. She ain't afraid to work. She's a wise shopper. And she plans ahead and, oh, there's one more thing she does in those verses. She gets up when it's still dark. Was that that obvious? She gets up when it is still dark outside and provides food for her family. And I'm guessing probably bacon and eggs and grits and biscuits and gravy, not yogurt parfait and cantaloupe. I'm just saying. I just got like the stank eye on Mother's Day. That's number two. Number two, she is attentive and she's industrious. And number three, she has a servant's heart. She's generous. Um, verse 20 says that she extends her hand to the poor. She helps the needy. In other words, this wife of noble character has planned ahead enough to not just take care of her family's needs, but also to reach out her hand and take care of other folks' needs. Number three, she's got a servant's heart and she's generous. And number four, she is dependable, crazy dependable. You can count on her. We see that. That's in verse uh, 15, 21, and 27. And when adversity comes, if it's bad weather or whatever it may be, she's already got a plan to deal with that. So number four, she's dependable. And then number five, and lastly, last in this passage, and this is, I'm going to say it's an, accumula it's a, an accumulation of all those other traits this woman loves the Lord. She is a woman who loves the Lord. And we see this by all of those verses. She's somebody who is guided and directed 
by God's word and by God's wisdom. Now, in the real world that we live in today, 2018, women, you ladies, you might read this passage and say to yourself, this ain't describing a woman, this is a description of a superwoman. And the truth is, it is. It is a description of a woman who lives in a supernatural way with a supernatural God. She lives in a supernatural way because she's yoked up to a supernatural God. She's shackled to a supernatural God. She has hooked her wagon to a supernatural God. And so it, it, it has to be that way. It ought to be that way because there is very few things in, in that, that there's very few things that are more important to our society than godly mamas. The scriptures are clear as they can be, both explicitly in what the text says and what is implied that, that the family is a critical creation of God's. Fathers are, yes, fathers are responsible for maybe the way that a family goes, but the mama is the glue that holds all that together. Maybe the father is directing that, but the mama is the one that keeps all of that together. And, and, and so because of that, because moms are so important to the family and, and, and the society, I want to look at some of the problems that mamas face so that the rest of us can show appreciation today, this afternoon, tonight, and for the rest of, of the year and really just, just every day. So first of all, guys, we got to look at motherhood and femininity with respect, with respect, with honor and with respect. And the Bible warns us throughout the text. It warns us over and over again there's spiritual warfare that's going on. There's, there's anti-Christian forces that are constantly at work to get us to buy into the values and the attitudes of the world. Remember I said kind of at the beginning, men and women were created differently. Different gifts, different strengths, different, different abilities, uniquely, wonderfully crafted in God's image, but different. And then, and then again, Romans 12 it tells us we're not to be conformed to what the world says. We're not to be, we're not to be conformed to what the patterns of the world. We're, we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We're not to be crammed into some mold that the world has for us. And so I'm going to be blunt with you this morning, and I'm going to tell you what I mean by that. When I'm talking about motherhood, when I'm talking about being a mama, being a mama is more important than a career. Before you throw something at me, I'm absolutely not saying that, that, that women can't have a career. And I'm absolutely not saying that a career for a man is more important than fatherhood because it's not. Father, the world is going to tell you that it is. But being a daddy is more important than a career. Being a mama, and it's Mother's Day, so being a mama is more important than the career. It doesn't mean the career is not important. It totally does not mean that. I'm saying it's critically important that we all get our arms around which one is the most important. Second Timothy says this. This is, this is Paul writing to Timothy, who's a young pastor, very young pastor in a church plant, 
And Timothy is his spiritual dad. And, 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 and Paul is, is teaching, showing, writing this letter to Timothy about how to do all of that. And so here's what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is going to be on the screen too. He says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Paul says to Timothy, have nothing to do with such people. Now, you notice what Paul is saying there. He's telling Timothy when the terrible times are coming in the last day. Why? Because people are going to be lovers of themselves. They're going to be lovers of money. They're going to be, look, boastfulness, pride, blasphemy are all sins. It's, it's all a pride issue. It's all, it all comes from loving yourself too much. Uh, disobedience to parents, it's a pride issue. Um, it, it comes from an over-exaggerated sense of what you are worth. But this is the world that we live in because this is what the world is telling us all the time. And so what do you think? Is it a shock of what this does to, the, to, to a woman? A woman who is wonderfully and fearfully created in the image of God and a, and, and a woman who by her very nature is geared to needing love, to needing affection, to needing reassurance. What do you think it does to a woman when the husband loves himself more than he loves her? What do you think it does to the woman when he loves money more than he loves her? What do you reckon it does to the woman when he loves his job more than he loves his wife? How about he loves a baseball game more than he loves his wife? You see, Satan's first attack in the garden was not on the husband. Satan's first attack in the garden was against the wife, and it immediately affected the home. And he still attacks us today. The spiritual warfare didn't go away, folks. He attacks mamas and he attacks wives today. And then you couple that with the fact that people, sometimes husbands, are lovers of themselves. They're lovers of money. They're proud. Kids are sometimes disobedient. People are ungrateful. People are unloving. And, and, and these, these humanistic, unbiblical ideas and beliefs and behaviors affect the family. They affect the home. They affect the mamas because the mama is the keeper of the home. Now, those of you sitting there that are husbands and, and fathers, we better take note of this. I said a little while ago that we may have some control over the way the family goes. So, guys, you better take note of this because even though our wives are to be the keepers of the home, we should be the protectors of the home. In other words, we can't let this junk that is out there infiltrate our house. It's staying out of my house. It's staying out. Of, we, we, can't, uh, we can't necessarily control what is going on out there in the world, but we can control what goes on in our house. 
Y'all look at Ephesians chapter 5. This is a great image in Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 23. This is probably, I think, one of the most misapplied, misinterpreted passages in all of the Bible. And it's badly misinterpreted, and it's misinterpreted often, and it's almost exclusively misinterpreted by men. So I want to read this passage to you. It's five, six, seven verses. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. It doesn't end there, guys. That's where the misapplication, the misinterpretation comes from. So wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. So this passage is Paul writing a letter to the church at Ephesus. It says that husbands are to be the head of the house, but it also says that we are to love our wives. How? In the same way that Christ loves the church. In other words, we men are supposed to love our wives sacrificially. And let me tell you, if we don't do that, we're being disobedient. I'm such a black and white person. If the scripture says that, then it is. If we are supposed to paint an image to a world in the relationship between husband and wife that is a mirror image of the relationship between Christ and the church, we are messing up what, what we're supposed to be doing. And the world is looking all the time. You want to set the model? Model Christ in the church between husband and wife. You want, to, you want to share the gospel? You don't have to speak. Let them look at your marriage. Let them look at the way that you as a husband love your wife sacrificially. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And so you've heard this saying, as goes the home, so goes the church. And as goes the church, so goes the world. That's this, that, 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 that message came from this verse. One more thing with, with, uh, with the husband and the wife. If we fail as husbands to love our wives like this, one, we have messed up, I said, the image that we need to portray to the world. But number two, number two, your kids are watching. They're watching 24-7. And so we are sinning against our wives and we're sinning against our children because our kids pick up on our attitudes and our actions. One thing that gets me more fired up than just about anything else is to see a kid disrespect mama. It makes me nuts. And a whole lot of the time, the problem is the kid is disrespecting the mama because that's what she sees, she or he sees the daddy doing. They're watching. But you know what? They're watching also when a husband loves his wife sacrificially. Generationally, things will change. If your kids see you as a husband, love your wife sacrificially, the odds go way up that 
when you see their marriage 10, 15, 20 years from now, you will see that husband being a godly leader in his family and loving his wife and his children sacrificially. So, so, so let's jump back. Let's look uh, back in, in Proverbs 31. Let's talk about mamas uh, again because you can see in this passage, you can see that the demands on mamas are huge. Whether it's grocery shopping and preparing meals, usually for picky eaters, washing and ironing and, and house. How many of y'all, when you were a kid and mama and daddy put something on the table to eat that you got to say, I don't want that, can you fix me something else? That didn't float in my house. You just went hungry. You didn't want that, you went hungry. And you probably, if you're in my house, got the back of my dad's hand with a big old fat West Point ring on it that fit on my temple right there. If I was to say something stupid like that, that's what I got. So, you you got all these things that mamas are having to juggle. House cleaning, caring, really caring for the family, the needs of the family, and in today's world, more than likely working a job outside of the home. And, And so, we look at that and we go, the lady that that is doing all of these things, it's a juggling act. It's just a juggling act. And men don't necessarily have to do that because that burden has somehow been put on, on the mama. And I want to tell you all something that, that taught me this in, in my life with, with my wife, Susan. It taught me about how the female mama brain works. This happened eight or ten years ago maybe. So we had been married about 20-something years at the time. We've been married 30 years now. So it took a long time for Susan to teach me this, probably 20 years or so. And it'll give you a little taste of the way that our wives have to juggle things, a little taste of the way that the female mama brain kind of works. So I want you to think about your mom, think about your wife, think about your daughters. If you have grown daughters, just think about this. So this was a couple of years ago, and Susan was doing some work for one of the builders in Columbus who had, uh, had built about 10 homes or so, no, excuse me, about 20 homes, and, uh, and, Susan, and they were getting ready to put them in the system, get them on the market for sale, and Susan was doing marketing. She was taking pictures of the, you know, doing the photography, you know, doing all the writing for the, for the, for the listings that when they went into the system. Um, she was doing all these things for those houses, and I really needed those 20 houses put in that system that day so all the marketing could begin. And so, uh, I don't know, probably 1 or 2 o'clock, I got on my computer at work, and I noticed that they weren't all in. They weren't all in the system yet, and I swear, dude, I, I couldn't help myself. Picked the phone up, called, and I said, uh, it was about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I called, you know, to see if she was finished. Big, huge mistake that phone call was. But I called nonetheless. And I said, hey, baby. I said, what you doing? And here's the answer I got. I'm, I'm in our bedroom ironing Will's shirts. And I couldn't help myself again. And I swear I tried not to let it come out of my mouth. But I couldn't help myself. And I said, well, well darling, I checked in the system and... There's nine or ten of those houses that, that aren't in yet. Um, and she says to me, she said, well, let me tell you what happened. She said, I was sitting in our great room, laptop on the little desk thing, working on the homes, 
had gone into the kitchen to get a cup of tea, apparently left the freezer open. She's sitting there working in the great room. The freezer dinged. Any of y'all got freezers that ding when you leave them open? Freezer dinged. She gets up, goes into the kitchen to close the freezer. The, the closing of the freezer reminded her of the ding of the freezer, which reminded her of the ding of the washing machine that had dinged about an hour earlier that reminded her that the clothes in the washing machine needed to go in the dryer. So she went in the laundry room, put the clothes in the washing machine in the dryer. When she went in the dryer, the clothes were in the dryer. So she had to take the clothes to the bedroom. She set them down in the bedroom, went back, put the clothes in the washing machine in the dryer and remembered that there were clothes that needed to go in the washing machine. Went back in the bedroom, got the clothes to go in the washing machine, closed the dryer, turned it on, closed the washing machine, turned it on, reminder the clothes needed to be folded in the bedroom, and she knew that I couldn't fold them because I'd mess it up. So the, she had the clothes in there, and she went back there, and she's folding clothes. In that stack of clothes were some of Will's shirts that needed to be ironed, so she was ironing Will's shirts. Well, okay, well, what do you, all you guys, what, what do you say? I just said, well, baby, okay, I'll call you in a little while. I mean, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to say. So here's the deal. I want to talk about how do we handle, how, do, how, do, how can a woman handle all of that, all of that juggling without going ballistic? We touched on one thing, and that is godly, sacrificially loving husbands and obedient children. Guys, it ain't beneath us to help in the house. Are you kidding? Who deemed it? the woman's job to do the dishes. You know, somebody deemed it the, at least my wife's job to fold because I apparently am physically unable to do it correctly. But my point is it is up to us to help. It's not beneath us to help. That's ridiculous. So that's number one. Secondly, and this one is on the wives and the mothers and the future wives and the future mothers, and it's this. we got to make sure that we get our priorities in line. In Luke chapter 10, we read the story of Mary and Martha and Jesus. Jesus had come to their house. Mary found the time to sit at Jesus' feet, to be near him and to listen to him. While, Mar- while Martha was all wrapped up in the busy work, Martha's in the kitchen focused on cooking biscuits or something, and, and she was too busy to sit and spend some time with Jesus, and she would not have admitted that. Martha would not have admitted that. But that's what's implied in Luke chapter 10. And then she even complained to the Lord that Mary wasn't helping her. And this is the same Mary, the same Mary who was the first evangelist. This is the same Mary who was the first to see the risen Christ. This is the same Mary who became the first evangelist. And that word in the Greek is euangelistes, and it means of Mary, one who declares the good news of Christ. She was the first to declare the good news of Christ. Crazy, unbelievable in that culture that a woman whose word in court was not admissible, that, that Jesus rocked the world, turned it upside down by privileging Mary with being the first one to declare the good news of Christ. John 20 records Jesus telling her that. And here's what we learn from that, is that moms need to make Mary's priority their priority. You moms need to make Mary's priority your priority, not Martha's. It, it, it means that you're going to prioritize and have 
your priorities in line. On the flip side, if you, your priorities are in line with Martha, then you're going to end up like Martha. You're going to end up uh, with self-pity, with tension, and with anxiety. Um, you're going to have resentment. Martha had resentment because she said she's whining to Jesus that Mary wasn't helping her. The reality is Jesus himself took time to get alone with the Father. Moms, y'all just answer this. You don't have to raise your hands. But how many of you mamas can say that you are so busy that you don't take the time to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to his word and take your burdens to him, take your problems to him, take your adversities like we talked about last week to him, your struggles and your cares to him. The Bible is crystal clear that no wife, no husband, no mom, no dad can be the kind of spouse or the kind of parent that God has called us to be without his help. In fact, Jesus said in John 15, 5, he's using a, he's using a, a, a vine as, as an example, as a, as a metaphor. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And the last part of that verse says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing doesn't mean something. It doesn't say apart from me, you can do some things. It doesn't say apart from me, you can do this or that. It says apart from me, you can do nothing. The vine is pumping life into you. Mamas, you want life and abundant life? Let the vine pump life into you. Why does it do that? Why does the vine do that? The vine does that so that the branches will bear fruit. Mamas, please figure out a way and commit yourselves that you will spend time with the vine, that you will spend time with Jesus. And husbands, you got to create an atmosphere in your families that allow mama to do that. You have to. You, ha- you want to be a godly husband? Create an atmosphere where that is important. Create an atmosphere in your, in your homes where this is an important part of it where prayer is an important part of it, where studying the Scriptures is an important part of it. Luke 10.39 says that Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what He said. Now these very last two verses uh, in, in Proverbs 31 says, Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honor her for all that her hands have done and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. The woman who finds her value only in her looks, one of two things are going to be there. She's going to have so much cosmetic surgery that she's not going to look like the wonderful creation that God made her. Or number two, she's going to hate herself. She's going to have such lowest self-esteem that she's going to hate herself. However, the woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. The woman who fears the Lord doesn't have to to toot her own horn. She doesn't have to brag and boast about what she has accomplished. Um, Her own works will praise her. The woman that fears the Lord will be contagious. People will see it. People will know it. Her children will rise up and call her blessed, and her husband will praise her. So I want to encourage you mamas and daughters and future mamas and daughters, God does not call you to be perfect. He doesn't call you to be perfect. 
And don't compare yourselves to other social media perfect mamas. It's fake. That, that's not, don't compare yourself to June Cleaver next door. Ooh, I just aged myself. Don't compare yourself to this perfect mama. It's not there. God does not call you to be perfect. God calls you to walk in His perfection. He can be perfect for you. That is the gospel. And here Susan said this to me the other night, and what a great quote it is. She said, comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison is the thief of joy. He doesn't call you to be perfect. He calls you to walk in His perfection. He calls you to walk in His Spirit. So take the time to sit at the feet of Jesus. Take the time to pray fervently. Pray circles around your husband. Pray circles around your kids. Read the Bible. Study the Bible. Memorize the Bible. Compare what this Bible says to what the world tells you. And when they differ, do what the Bible says. We started off today saying that there are a few things in the world that are more important than a godly mama. And I want to give you five to-dos, and we're going to wrap this up. Five to-dos as we celebrate Mother's Day. Number one, tell a mom in your life what a good job she's doing. If it's your mama is alive, tell her. If she's not, tell find a mama. Tell her she's doing a great job. Tell her, uh, I guarantee you she hadn't heard that enough. I guarantee you that. Remind her that she's trustworthy, that she's devoted and attentive and industrious and wise. Uh, thank her that she's generous. Thank, her, thank you, uh, 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 her for her servant's heart and her dependability. And more than anything, thank her that she loves the Lord, number one. Number two, it's a day to give credit, not get credit. It's a day to give credit. Choose to give to the moms around you without expecting anything in return. Number three, call your own mama if she is alive. Call her if she's not. And I know there's a lot of us that have lost a mama in the last 12 months. This is the first Mother's Day without her, and that's difficult. But if she's alive, call her. And if she's not, call another mama that was really influential in your life just to thank God for her. She will so appreciate it. Hold the door for a mama and her kids when you're at Target. She will appreciate it. it. You don't have to know her. If there's a lady walking in with a bunch of little kids, open the door for her. Serve her and serve your wife and your mom. And, and the last one, guys, this is to the guys. Be com- I cannot emphasize this enough. Be committed to always model Christ's sacrificial love for the church by loving your wife the same way. You do that, and you will be modeling His love to a lost and dying world. The world is looking at us all the time. They need to look at our marriage relationships and want that. That is a way that we share the gospel. So, if y'all would, bow your heads and just close your eyes. And y'all, I just want to, because I know that we're not here by accident today. I know folks aren't here by accident and if you are here and you don't know that sacrificial love, Christ's sacrificial love, if you don't know that, today right here on Mother's Day, you can. Here's what you got to do. It ain't that hard. You repent and you believe. You repent and you believe and He will forgive you and He will embrace you with that sacrificial love. You just need to say, I want to live forever, forever, Lord. I am so sorry for all of the dumb stuff that I have done, and I believe every word of that Scripture. I believe 
that you died on a cross, that you were buried, and that you came back to life three days later to pay that penalty, my penalty. And I want and I understand and I believe that all of that is available to me. The reality is God does not expect perfection. He expects us to walk in His perfection. And so if, if today you accepted that, if you today, if you said, Lord, I do want to walk in your perfection because I know I can't do it by myself, if that happened to you today, um, there's a connection card Richard talked about in the seat back in front of you. If you would just jot down that that happened. Our staff wants to pray for you. Our staff will pray for you all week long. We look at and we read those connection cards and we want to come alongside of you and pray with you. So let me pray real quick and we'll be done this morning. Lord, we love you today. Lord, we thank you so much for godly mamas and the influence that they have on society. Lord, there is nothing more important than to our society than godly mothers leading the charge. Lord, I thank you for my mom. I thank you for my wife. I thank you for all of the mamas uh, that are here in earshot today. Lord, we love you. We thank you again in Jesus' name. Amen.